Um, hi, it's uh, really good to be here. As Sam said, I've been um, around at some interesting moments in the history. So the first one probably was um, like Sam, like a possum in the headlights, like one Sunday in Christchurch, like, I feel like God's just told me I'm going to go to lead, to plant a church somewhere. And, and so we chatted about that. And then the, the funeral service, it was, that was, because I, I can't remember, I'm not sure if I've created an urban myth, but I'm sure Sam was there on a guitar and a kick drum and then the sound desk off to one side as well. So it was a real one-man band. And there was a door like, don't let the kids go through that door. <laughs> like they're going to be traumatized for life. There's dead people in there. Yeah, And again, like, do you preach a Mother's Day message, a funeral home message, or a church plant message? So that was good. And then I was there for your Easter camp a few years ago. You remember that? Four days of no showers. Yeah, it was great, and a bit of rain and stuff. But um, so it's just been it's just been an absolute um, delight uh, to see what God is doing here um, with you. And um, you know, I was, I was I've been spent most of the last year in the UK, and just um, when Sam messaged me a couple of months ago. I just felt God's say straight away um, about this church and what you're doing here. It's just this phrase, it matters. And uh, I just really feel like what God is doing in your life and this church and this building of a culture of um, discipleship and practices of faith and prayer, uh, it, it just, I just felt God say, it matters. And so I want to encourage you, what you're doing, it, it matters. I think it matters for you, it matters for the city, it matters for this nation and even beyond. So, yeah, I, um, it's a real honor to be here. And um, this, this is just going to blow my credibility in instantly. But I often, maybe because I kind of spend my, most of my life kind of intellectual stuff, I feel like God often shows me this almost cartoonish pictures of angels. Like, just, and when I came in here, I felt like um, for the church, oh, yeah, the angels are here. And then I had a sense like, Oh, they seem really orderly and calm. And I feel like, oh, you guys have actually built something in the spirit that is very strong and solid. And even with the moving around the different venues, what you've built is really solid and calm and, and is just really significant. So it's not flattery when I say it's a real privilege to be here and see what God is doing. And um, I actually was going to do a message around this thing in matters, and then we were chatting last night, and um, just around some of, the, some of the passion of this church, and it was like, oh man, this is what I've talked about in other churches around New Zealand, other churches around the world, and kind of felt like the Holy Spirit came down when we were just chatting. And I thought, oh, I'd love to just share actually around some of this theme, around this idea um, of this call for the church in these days to really shine and to have this hunger for the glory of God in the church. So just last weekend, I was at a church in Christchurch. They had brethren roots. They're kind of salt of the earth people. They're in the schools. They're in community development stuff. But their theme for this year was the presence of God. And they're like, it's kind of not really part of our tradition. And I was like, I'm I'm totally excited that that's your theme and I'm totally not surprised because all around the world there seems to be this hunger that says we just don't want to do business as usual church. We just don't want to go through the motions we are, and, 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 and we totally believe in all the good things we want to do in the community but we're hungry for something else. We're hungry for the presence of God. We're hungry for an encounter with the glory of God in our midst. 
And so I was able to share with them, like, oh, man, the church I'm involved in in the UK for the whole year last year, the theme was the glory of God. And it's like, we just want people to encounter something of, of the manifest presence of God when we gather and to experience that in their lives. And as we just did that for a whole year, we just see more and more people just, um, you know, just a hunger in the worship for an encounter with God. I loved your opening prayer. We're not here to be consumers. We're here for encounter. And, and there was just this hunger for that at the end of the messages. Not always, but sometimes just as the preacher's finishing and people are already coming up and kneeling at the front. It's like, I haven't even asked for anything yet. But just this hunger to respond and encounter with, with God. And just more people at prayer meetings, uh, and 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 just and then from that, more people inviting friends, more people getting saved, more miracles, and you just go. And as I was able to say to this church in Christchurch, man, if you guys lean into this theme of the presence of God for a whole year, I'm go, I'm going to be amazed to see what happens in that year because because uh, because God is doing something all around the world, and so um so yeah, all uh, January um. Just the same message I was doing in Germany and Denmark and Italy and the UK and then in Christchurch. And it's just this thing, man, it's time for the church to pick up this passion. Like we want to shine with something. We just don't want to play church. We want to see the glory of God um, in our church. And I was actually um, in um, Germany on New Year's Eve. Any Germans here before I offend anyone? No. Um, so... Um, uh, uh, New Year's Eve was a Sunday, so I was preaching. Germans are crazy with fireworks. And, and this is our first um, New Year's in the Northern Hemisphere. So it was a bit different because it's cold and dark and miserable. And then at midnight, like for hours at, over, after midnight, there was just fireworks going off everywhere. And, I, and I, I, I'm not totally sure of the mood in New Zealand, but I know around Europe there's just a lot of fear and anxiety. And I thought that was a great metaphor for kind of the church in the middle of the darkest moments it's like we just need the light to shine we need to set off um, something and actually when do you set off the fireworks in the darkest time and and I feel like for the church it's like man it can feel pretty dark out there like we just need something to shine we need something more than just being nice people trying to help we need something to stand out and here's the paradox that the very darkness causes the light to stand out even more. And actually, the very darkness that we can be afraid of is actually kind of flips and is an openness and a hunger for the very light that we could shine. And so, um, I, I, yeah, I, it might sound a bit trivial, but I feel like it's like, man, this is the moment for the church around the world to shine with something of God's glory. And, uh, you know, Jesus talked about different ways of influence. So he talked about being the salt of the earth. And, like, I almost feel embarrassed talking about this thing of shine because it kind of goes against, I've been in ministry 40 years. It goes against 40 years of my, my life, which is be the salt of the earth. Like, I was a youth worker in schools. Yeah, they even had high schools back in those days. And, the, you know, then we, we went and lived in the slums in the Philippines. We went and lived in the middle of a civil war zone with Islamic rebels. Um, my wife's been involved in Child Cancer Foundation with teenage moms, with um, postnatal depression. Like, we are totally committed to get, like, the salt of the earth is just get in there and help, right? But the other side, Jesus said, actually, I'm also calling you to be the light of the world. And you've got to shine with something. 
And I feel in my life as, you know, having been a Christian more than 50 years in ministry, 40 years, this thing like, man, I feel like I'm totally committed to being sold, but I feel like there's this call to actually shine with something of God. And, it, and it's reflected in good works, but I, I, it starts somewhere else. And if you think this is a little bit trivial, I want to unpack a passage um, found in Isaiah, Isaiah 61 to 3, which talks about this. So let me just read it. And then we'll go through it. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. It's actually almost incredibly... Um, to someone who doesn't believe God, it's quite, kind of quite... It kind of sounds arrogant about what God is doing on and in and through you in the midst of this. But the logic is a bit convoluted. It's not very linear. So I think it actually starts in verse 2, and it starts with this, like, do you see the darkness? Do you actually see the thick darkness? Like, I don't know how it feels here, but having been in the UK and Europe most of the last two years, actually, there's a lot of people that are really afraid or anxious. Like the COVID years and then the economic instability. I mean, even, you know, for God's sake, the American election, Biden versus Trump. You're like, geez. Um, and, you know, the, the border crisis there. That Then you've got uh, in Europe, the Ukraine war with Russia and threats of that escalating. And then immigration stuff, and now you've got Israel and Palestine and, and anti-Israel marches, and it, and it can just, like, it's pretty dark out there. And then you come back to New Zealand, and the it's like, and, and, and I, it's interesting because he's like, he starts here like, do you, do you actually see how dark it is? Do you feel how dark it is? But then, you know, I'd love it if I was a black American preacher, because then I could really preach this, because this next thing is, there's a but God. Yeah, do you see the darkness? Do you see it's really thick? But, but the second part of verse two, but the Lord. And it's like you can either focus on the darkness or you can focus on what God is doing in the midst of the darkness. And I feel like there's this invitation not to be overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and being paralyzed by, we don't know the answers and we know don't know what to do. It's like the very, the darkness causes us to be awakened from our slumber and complacency. And like, it can't be business as usual. But then it's like, but don't let your attention linger on the darkness. Turn it and see what's the but God moment. And, and it's fascinating here because it says, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears upon you. Oh, but God, what are you doing in America? And what are you doing in Ukraine? And what are you doing in Israel? And the but God is, but can you see that God is actually rising on you? Can you sense that he wants to dial up the glory that's over you, over this church, over you, over your life? And it suddenly it's like, like I said, the the fireworks in the, in, at midnight, it's like I can either focus on the darkness or I can focus that God's glory is rising and shining. And so I feel like there's this invitation of hope because it's like if I focus on the darkness and I focus on this model of being salt, I don't, I don't know what to do. 
It's so overwhelming. It's so scary. But when I say, but God, you're at work doing something through your people, something over your people, it's like I can see, I can work with that. I can lean into that. And I don't walk away from being the sultan. There's a second movement to go and try and be an answer, but I feel like maybe the first movement for the church is actually at this time, we need to shine with something. We need to shine with the glory of the Lord. And so then you step back up to verse one. So because you've seen the darkness, but you've had a but God moment, recognizing God's glory appears over you. That's why I'm not surprised that churches are, I feel like they're this hunger is resonating with something that God has initiated, this former brethren church that goes, we're hungry for his presence. A 24-7 prayer movement that says we want to call on God. It's like, it's, it's almost like, actually, we're not the ones initiating. We're almost responding to the fact that God is going, I'm causing my glory to rise on you. I'm causing my presence to rise on you. And people are hungry for more of that. And it's like, ah, I think like this is the moment to shine. And so then verse one, then the implication of that where he starts, okay, now arise, shine with the light that is on you. It's like, Bay Vineyard, arise and shine because God's glory is here. This is, a, this is a, a thin place of intersection with heaven. People will encounter God here. It's like, yeah, we're committed to doing good. We're committed to reaching out. But, but above all that, we want people to have a sense like, man, I came to this environment and God was there. I don't understand what's happening. I walked in and I was just crying. I walked in and I, and I had to come to the front. I had to come back. I don't understand it. And we can say it's because God is there. And his glory is there. And the conclusion is incredible down in verse three. The very nations that are in darkness and thick darkness, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In an age where people are often deeply cynical about church and, and done with church, this is that's what I mean. It's almost brazen in its claim that if the people of God will arise with what God is doing, the people of the nations will come and say, Tell us what you've got, because we need that. And it's like this deep confidence, not in ourselves, but in the presence of God in our lives. Um, uh, Sam asked, he's joking with me, like, did God wake you up in the middle of the night? And actually, he did with this next verse around this. Because I come from a church, one of our main values, our first, we express our values in an acronym, HEART, and the H, our first value is honor. And it doesn't mean crazy Pentecostals honoring the senior pastor. It's we honor the presence of God as our first value. And the, and the passage that goes with this is Exodus when, when Moses having this encounter with God and they're about to go into the promised land and there's all these promises and this wonderful inheritance for them. But Moses says this, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up. We'd rather stay in the wilderness with your presence than go into the promised land without your presence. Your presence is our ultimate value. And I know for vineyard culture values, the presence of God, the intimacy is an ultimate value. We want to do a whole lot of stuff, but our ultimate value is we create environments for the presence of God. And I feel like, you know, this, this 
I was explaining this to this uh, formerly Brethren Church last week, and the pastor kind of paused me, got me to pause, and shared with his leadership team, like, you know, theologically we believe in this, but it hasn't been so much part of our tradition. We've been great on community, being community. We've been great on doing good works, but we're feeling like actually we need the presence of God. And vineyard is like, that's your jam, right? The presence of God. Is it? Yeah, still. <laughs> Tap there, you've moved on. We're done with that. We moved, we're trying, we're trying. And, and here's the thing. How will anyone know that you're pleased with us and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people? There's lots of great social agencies in the Bay. There's lots of self-help groups and therapy groups. What will distinguish Bay Vineyard is the presence of God. Yeah, we'll be sold in light. We'll run all these programs. But there's a different factor, and it's not about how good we are. It's that the glory of God has risen over us. God's presence is with us. And if you, know, if you want to talk about being woken in the middle of the night, for that to be plant-like, that's got to be our distinguishing feature. We can't do this without the presence of God. We don't want to just run good community programs. We want people to hunger because it's so dark they need to encounter the glory. And I think that's really what, what makes the difference. This, that it's, that it's what's on us, it's what's over us, it's what's in us. And it's like there's this hunger all around the world. We just need more of your glory. We just need more of your presence. And... Um, I'll save, I'll save another point for the end. I think, I think there's a pattern in Scripture where God often uses crises to, to kind of almost shock us out of complacency and mediocrity and apathy. But once he's got our attention, he's like, okay, I got your attention, but now I don't want you to focus on that. I want you to focus on what I'm doing. So let me just show you a few times. So Joel chapter 2, blow the trumpet in Zion, um, sound the alarm on my holy hill. And then he talks about all these this darkness that's coming and and war and stuff like that. But then at the end of the chapter, but then guys, now I've got your attention. (laughs) I'm going to pour out my spirit on everyone. There's going to be this amazing move of God by the Holy Spirit. And it's going to issue in an incredible, hopefully if this works, if I'm not the door. And then it's going to issue in an amazing move of salvation. Did you see that? Wake up, alarm, bad things are happening. Okay, but this is what, there's the but God thing, but I'm about to pour out my spirit and I'm about to see a wave of salvation. And I want to encourage you, what's the but God perspective on Napier? What's the but God perspective on your business, on your school, on your community? What's the but God perspective? Um, Another one, Matthew 24, again, Jesus talks about this. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't be alarmed. Man, seems pretty relevant today. Such things must happen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes. It's like, hello, now I've got your attention, but now here's the but God thing, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. It's like in the very moments of darkness, he lets off the fireworks. He shines his light. You know, the whole book of Revelation is a great warning of stuff. And in the middle of it, and after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, 
tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And down in verse 10, and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Do you see, you can either focus on the darkness or you can focus on the, on the, on the fireworks of light and hope that are going off in the midst of the darkness. And it's like, because I'm so concerned about the darkness, maybe the biggest way I can serve my community now is lean into the light. Is say, God, we need more of your presence. God, we need more of your glory. It's so complex. It's so difficult. I don't know what the answer is. We just need a move of God. Um, it's funny, uh, Sam and I were talking about different contexts. Language works differently. And I read this thing I'm going to put up, and then talking to the prayer guy, it's like, oh, it doesn't sound great, the first one. But let me explain it. So um, Mark uh, Verakis is a pastor in Malaysia and Australia, and he says this, when you don't know what to do, pray. That doesn't mean you only pray when you don't know what to do, but get the spirit of it, okay? When you don't know what to do, pray. When you don't know how to process worship, when you feel alone, get into community. And I really like that sense of, like, our first move should be, I should just get it. Yeah, I'm either overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with responsibility, but it's like your first move, gather together, worship God, and pray. And I, and I feel like that's kind of the message all around the world. Like when it gets dark, as the people of God, our greatest need is not some wise strategy. Our greatest need is for the glory to shine brighter. Our greatest need is for the presence of God to feel richer and thicker and more real in our, in our environments. Um, that the prophecy in Isaiah, he actually has a couple of other prophecies that add weight to it. Um, and um, again, I was talking about this at a church last week, and they had a, the local school principal there because a project they're doing, and I was like, oh man, this is almost embarrassing talking about how arrogant the claims kind of sound of, of what God is doing with his people. So, so have a look at this, Isaiah chapter 2. So these are two more prophecies in Isaiah about what God's going to do. Again, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of their mountains. Mountains represent places of influence. Again, what a claim. Pla uh, places of influence like business and government and the arts and finance and, and all that. And, and this incredible claim that we're headed towards a time, the, the mountain of the place of the presence of God will be the highest place. Not in power, but the place like, man, there's some people broken. You need to get along to Bay Vineyard because I don't understand it, but people's lives change there. It's like, we've got all these policies, we've got all this stuff, but you just need to get along there because I don't really know why, but stuff happens in people's lives there. And, and this is the claim that God, the temple is the place of his presence. God has always had a strategy of having a place where people could encounter his glory. The tabernacle, the temple, the person of Jesus, and now the church. And so again, it's like our first responsibility as the church is to host the glory of God. And it's like, oh, there's an awakening to that. But, but it goes on, you know, once that's established, again, this claim that people will say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us of his ways. I was in Denmark a few, uh, sometime in January. And again, they were saying, like, people just going, you guys seem to have some answers for building community. You guys seem to have some answers for relationships. Like, can we steer some people your way? 
the local politicians. And it's like, this is the vision when the church actually becomes the place that hosts the glory, that that people come looking for answers. And it finishes with a, I should stop walking away from the gap. Um, Finishes with a famous verse. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. It's a verse that's on the UN building in New York. It's the hope of this world. Imagine this. One day, all of the military establishment converted to agricultural production. All of the resources, all of the brain power, all of the energy that goes into military power would be turned to producing food. It's like, that's the dream. And um, overnight, poverty would be solved. Child poverty, famine would be solved. And it's like, that's the dream. But, but people want the peace without the presence. Because Isaiah says, this is the dream. But it happens when the temple of God's house gets elevated. When the place of God's presence gets lifted up. I would plead with you, please don't get cynical about church. I know there's a whole lot of dumb stuff that happens, but according to the Bible, the answer is to make this place the place that hosts his glory. Because then people will come for answers and actually peace could happen. Um, Another one is found in um, Isaiah chapter 9. Another prophecy. Go. I think we might be slowly dying with this. There we go. Again, notice this. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of deep darkness. It's similar language. Do you see it's dark? Do you see that it's deeply dark? Well, i got great news for you. God is shining his light in that place. And when he goes on, if you skip skip down, here's his answer. For to us a child is born and a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah 2 says people want the peace without the presence. Isaiah 9 says people want the peace without the person of Jesus. And it's like somehow if we can host this person of the Lord Jesus and we can welcome his glory, Maybe alongside being the salt of the earth, that's the greatest way that we could serve our community and our world. And that's the sense that I'm getting all around New Zealand, all around the world, and talking to Sam. That's the sense of people going, it's time to call upon God and and see another move of God. Because it's just not really business as usual out there. Let me just show you kind of, Three examples of this is how God has always worked. So any former Methodists in our midst? My son's a Wesleyan. Um, but um, so John Wesley, uh, you know, 18th century, time of start of the Industrial Revolution, a lot of darkness in the nation in the UK, a lot of poverty, a lot of oppression, a lot of turmoil all around Europe. But if you know the story, he, he went to this meeting. So this is a plaque. I don't know if you can, probably can't read it from there. So he talks about, he went to this meeting and it just says, he felt his heart strangely warmed. And I love this little plaque. It says, this experience of grace was the beginning of Methodism. Something started with an encounter with God in a church service. 
and it, and it birthed something in his life, and it became this unstoppable force. I've got to share this with other people. And no, you just preach in churches. No, I'm just going to preach in the fields and the highways. And, 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 and you know, he's eventually kind of kicked out of the Anglican church. But then, but he started very methodical in his discipleship, and then that became a, a wave of social transformation, um, the Clapham sect and Wilberforce and stuff like that. But there's a, I found this quote, it just says this. Maybe I could get you to click if it says this. Just says this. The Methodists made such an impact on their nation that in 1962, a historian theorized that the Wesleyan revival saved England from the kind of bloody revolution that crippled France. And it's like, it all started with an encounter that led to a movement of church that led to a social transformation that saved his nation at that time. But I wonder for us who are concerned about stuff going on in our country, concerned about stuff going in our world, this sound, I feel, it's like, I don't know who's talking when I listen to myself saying, maybe our first move is to call out to God. Maybe our first move is to ask for another move of God. Maybe our first move is to say we need the glory of God in our midst in a way that we haven't seen maybe for a long time. Next one, anyone seen this movie, The Jesus Revolution? No, any former hippies in our midst? Um, so again, um, you know, again, if you think back, if you were a conservative Christian in the 1950s in America, 1960s, Vietnam War, drugs, sexual revolution, and, it, and so you would have thought it was really dark times. But again, just like Wesley, in the midst of what seemed dark, God moved. Sometimes when it seems darkest, it's actually the perfect time for a move of God. And if you know this move of Jesus people and a massive uh, wave of salvation and the birth of church movements like Vineyard came out of that, Calvary Chapel, also contemporary music. The reason why we haven't got hymn books and and an organ today is because of a move of God in the midst of a dark time. And so I want to encourage you, God always lets off his fireworks in the middle of the night. He births a move of God in dark times. And even, even recently, you know, with um, COVID and, and the effect on kids with school and stuff like that, um, last year there were some moves of God in, in universities around the States. And someone, someone who's involved in university and the ministry in the States wrote an article, if you can put it up. He said this, five reasons why Generation Z is primed for spiritual renewal. So again, he flips it on his head. What looks like darkness is actually creating the openness for a move of God. Some of them are a bit wordy, but let me explain. Number one, isolation during the pandemic has created a hunger for belonging. The very darkness has created that. Disillusionment with ineffective, abusive, hypocritical leaders is creating a hunger for sincere, humble, transparent leadership. Pervasive anxiety is creating a hunger for deep peace. Number four is the super wordy one. Digital self-projection, that just means your social media image, your Insta account, are creating a longing for real life, non-judgmental sincerity. The loss, this is the surprising one, the loss of places of belonging is creating a hunger for healthy institutions where Generation Z can find mentors. It's like you can look out there and go, man, it's been so dark the last few years. Or you can go, what a perfect environment for God to turn on the light. 
for God to start a move of God, for God to do something we haven't seen for several generations, for God to open that up again. So Isaiah, if you go into Isaiah 61 verse 3, just says, man, when you see the darkness, don't get overwhelmed by it. Look for the but God move. All around the world, church is going, we need a move of God. We need prayer. We need an encounter with his presence. We need his glory. We just don't want to keep doing program church. We don't want to keep doing church business as usual. We want to see something happen. And, and, and the call, man, go with it. Step into it. Arise with that. Go after it. Because God, as uh, Sam said, Aslan is on the move. God is on the move. And we can go with it. Maybe I can get the musicians up. I just want to finish with one passage, Ephesians chapter 3. It's a famous passage, and I've just been reflecting on it the last couple of months around this thing. And we can, so if you read it, we often read it, you know, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work in us. It's like, that man, God's amazing. And then it's like, yeah, so he should be glorified like forever because he's so awesome. But I've kind of read it a different way, and it's this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, that's the given. God can do things that we've never seen before in New Zealand. God can do things in a church that you've never seen before in Hawke's Bay. God can do things globally that we've never, that's the given. But so what then is Paul's prayer? Oh, that there would be glory in the church. Just let God's anointing start to come on you. Because if there's glory in the church, God can do anything. And so if Paul, I think if Paul was going to pray for Bay Vineyard, he'd say, oh God, let there be glory in the church. And in Christ, let, let them lift up Jesus and let them create environments that host God's glory. And it's like, and, and I just want to invite you to kind of let God stir that hunger. God, you're able to do anything. You're able to do immeasurably more than ask, we ask or could even imagine. You're able to do things we could daily believe could happen in our midst. You can do that. But God, the, the condition is God, let there be glory. Let people encounter glory. And then he finishes with this throughout all generations. And it's like, you can read it like, yeah, and you're like, just like gazillion times. But I think what he's saying is this, man, that the next generation would experience this. And a lot of us are a bit older and you have seen a touch of his glory in the past. Man, feel God's anointing coming now. Who cares? You know, for me, it's like, that the next generation had an experience like maybe you had in the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. But the key thing that another generation gets in a, a sense of the glory in the church. This hunger, not for me, I've, I've experienced enough to know, but I wanna see it like, God, could it happen one more time before I die? So that another generation can say, 
they experienced a move of God. So another generation could say, we saw a revival. So they're not listening to stories of 40 or 50 years ago about the vineyard. They're telling stories about last Sunday at Bay Vineyard. I feel like there's this cry, God, do it again in our time. Do it again in our time. Because you can do anything. But this is our prayer. God, to you be glory in the church.